I'm standing there waiting to use the payphone. Yeah, he was, seriously. And this guy who's on the phone turns around and tips his hat like this. And who do you think that guy was? Emilio Estevez, the Mighty Duck Man. I swear to God, I was there. Of course you were. You were the one who yelled the Breakfast Clubber's name. I was like, Emilio! (laughs) 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 So, anyways, you guys want to make out or what? Two brothers want to open their own nightclub, but have no clue where to start. Special guest Mark J. Parker joins us to chat about getting a picture with Will Ferrell, Instagram likes from Molly Shannon, and tipping advice from Lorne Michaels. Bob your heads to the beat as we find out if a night at the Roxbury stands the test of time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Well, what is love is this podcast. This is the test of time. (laughs) I'm James Brief, and joining me as always is my buddy and pal, the director of this podcast, Alan Noah. How are you, Alan? We have a special podcast today. We do. We do. I am very well. Thank you, James. We have a very special guest joining us tonight for our night at the Roxbury. We have special guest Mark J. Parker host of Release Date Rewind, joining us. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, my friends. I'm like the third Butabi brother tonight, right? <laughs> we can all do the head thing. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm really happy that you're here. I'm really glad that you're able to join us. We found each other on Instagram. I, I think yep. you found me first, I, I think. Yep. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I love your logo, by the way. I love your, your podcast art. I was like, oh my gosh, test of time, cool name, cool look. And I saw the episodes. I was like, oh, my God, these are my people. So I was like, hey. <laughs> love it. Love it. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate you reaching out. Just really quick uh, short story about our podcast art. I really, really, really wanted to do a photo shoot with an actual DeLorean. And I like I looked into it. I made calls. It would blow your mind to find out how much people charge. The people who own DeLoreans, they charge literally thousands of dollars to like be with the DeLorean, see it, to take pictures with it. It was insane. Wow. I, you know, sadly, I'm not surprised, but geez. Well, good try at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was way easier to do the animated one. Hey, Al, I'm just wondering in all of that research that you did and all the people with the thousands of dollars and quotes, did, did you happen to ask me if I had any leads? Why, you know someone with the DeLorean? Um, basically, what um, every single year at Comic-Con, there's people with the Batmobile and the DeLorean, and you pay, like, 50 bucks. Are you serious? <laughs> I have two passes to Comic-Con, Al. Like, all you have to do is ask. <laughs> we can have a picture whenever you want, any year. <laughs> uh, I guess, but then it's at Comic-Con. Or, or you could spend thousands of dollars to hunt down a working order DeLorean. Oh, well, what? Whatever. I like our logo, so it's it's fine. 
It totally works very well. But you know, maybe maybe someday you guys could do a little impromptu photo shoot at a future Comic-Con. That could be pretty cool. Pretty good marketing for the pod in front of everyone. That's true. That's true. But Mark, why don't you uh, explain to our listeners, in case they don't know about Release Date Rewind, why don't you tell them a little bit about your show? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so um, I started Release Date Rewind almost exactly three years ago. This is my third year for doing the podcast. I had a previous podcast with friends before that, but you know, we ended it. It was uh, more current new films and it's in TV shows. And you know, when you're talking about new stuff, it's just like, you got to keep doing it. So I thought, no, I love celebrating old movies on their milestone anniversaries. I've been doing that since I was a kid, you know? And so that's basically what I do on the show. I have different guests, some podcasters, some friends in the industry, some just general movie lovers and we just rant and rave about movies some like we were talking before we started tonight um some that are big you know famous ones and then some that are deeper cuts but we just nerd out we talk about trivia we talk about not only our favorite scenes and memories from the film but also favorite memories of real life around the time we first saw these films you know and how personal they are to us but yeah everything from 20th anniversary and up if it's under 20 i don't talk about it just because it's not old enough yet i think the older the better you know so lots of 90s 80s and then even sometimes 70s 60s hitchcock uh, comedy, everything, all kinds of genres. Very similar to to your kind of show, seeing if it stands the test of time. Is it still as good as we remember seeing it years ago? That kind of thing. That's Release Date Rewind. We have the same idea where we uh, we say 15 years because, it, you know, you definitely okay. have to give it a moment. You know, look at the Oscars. Look at films that, uh, you know, one of these things like Martin Scorsese never won an Oscar before The Departed uh, or these other people that never win. And, yeah. Or you look at the best pictures and you're like, nobody's heard of any of these films. And this film wasn't nominated. Totally. You know, this is the best film ever. Uh-huh. And it, it really takes a while. I hear you. I know some of some of like the the best movies of the past. You're like, wait, this was actually nominated for like a Razzie? Like what? You know, yeah. so it's funny to also see how tastes have changed, how actually that wasn't as bad as we thought. Or maybe it's also nostalgia goggles. Maybe it's not the best movie, but we love it for whatever reason, you know. So it's a nice trip down memory lane. And uh, yeah, my my new episode, I'm a little delayed. I needed a bit of a break and I was out of town for a while, but my my new one, I'm a couple weeks behind because it's an August movie, is Blade from 1998. Nice. Wesley Snipes, vampire action movie. That's my little plug for my new one. And then we got some fun thrillers coming up for September and October. Awesome. It's funny because like James and I, we have a very, very long list of like movies that we want to do on the podcast. And sometimes it's just because we just feel like a comedy an action movie whatever and sometimes you know if there's like a new sequel or a remake or a reboot we'll do the old one but sometimes yeah. i will go with the anniversary because hey you know a movie came out 20 years ago 25 years ago and that's just sort of an excuse is it an amazing excuse i don't know it's a good enough excuse to be like hey let's talk about whatever yeah. movie what better excuse would there be to say, hey, let's rewatch A Night at the Roxbury and talk about it? It's turning yep. 25. Perfect. 25. And it wasn't on my list. So this is perfect. Uh, in the past, you know, when friends have invited me to their shows, I'm always happy to talk to people. But I started to realize, wait, I kind of can't talk about the same movie I just talked about on my show, on your show. I'm going to like say the same things. I'm kind of getting burnout. So luckily, I'm not talking about Roxbury on my show. So this is perfect for you guys. Great. I'm happy to 
be here for the 25th anniversary of A Night at the Roxbury. You know, I nice. love the idea of doing anniversaries because, you know, you could really revisit it again. It, you know, your 10-year high school reunion, very different than the 25 and 50. And yeah. uh, like, like on our show... Sometimes we do anniversaries, but the reason sure, uh, totally. I didn't want to do Blade is because there's a new uh, Blade coming out. So at that time, we're going to kind of yep. compare right. them. But uh, I love the focus of uh, of your podcast. That, that's a great idea. Just the uh, you know the centennial, the silver Thank anniversary, you. the golden anniversary. Exactly. And I, I like I said, I was doing that already just naturally. Like I'm mm. someone where it's like another 1998 movie that I won't have time for this year, but I love it is The Faculty, Kevin Williamson, all sure. the aliens in school. So like that's a movie where I'm, I know already this December I'm going to be like, you know what? 25 years, I'm going to put this on because it's been a while. I remember loving it. So I do that anyway. So I thought, why not turn it into a podcast? So there you go. So you guys will be on someday for sure. I'll, I'll return the favor. I'm on your show, but in a couple months, you'll be on mine, I hope. Awesome. That sounds great. Right? Perhaps on the anniversary of this podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, there you go. Oh, I like, see, anniversary on top of anniversary. Oh my gosh. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Getting meta. Yeah. Um. All right. So when we were chatting on Instagram, we were throwing a couple of movie ideas back and forth, and you said that you had a soft spot for A Night at the Roxbury. So tell me why. Like, wh- where did that soft spot kind of come from? You know, good question. Because I, I have a soft spot for dumb comedies of this kind of time frame, you know? Like, okay. or, or really of, all, of any time frame. I just feel like dumb comedies are more powerful than we give them credit for, I think, okay. you know? And I didn't really do a deep dive into the reviews of this movie. I know this one is not like amazing. There are much better, even just very silly comedies, you know, but like I've talked about Romeo and Michelle on my show. I'm a big Clueless fan. So it's great to see some of those creatives on this movie. I didn't realize this was my, cause this is my first time rewatching this in years, guys. I didn't realize Amy Heckerling produced this and I'm like, oh my God, now it makes sense. And I had Mona May, the costume designer on my show. I did a little interview with her to celebrate Romy Michelle's 25th anniversary last year wow. and she did the costumes for this so it's fun to I think that's why I had a soft spot was I knew some of the same DNA was in other great comedies of this time so that's why I, I hold it to a special place in my heart um, and I think also just the SNL of it all I mean you have such great funny talented SNL actors in this cast and of course we know the idea came from SNL yeah. so that is just that fun warm fuzzy feeling of like 25 years ago laughing to these dumb guys in the club so yeah i forget the other movies you gave me but i was like yeah let's do roxbury that that feels just like a nice easy breezy time you know perfect perfect i don't remember what the other movies were either so whatever and the clueless connection there are like a few actors like the dad from clueless is the dad in this movie and the teacher that they fix up in clueless is like a, a customer i've got another the director of this film, John Fortenberry, he directed episodes of Clueless, the television series. I did see that. Yes. I do also have a soft spot for that show. It wasn't good, but I literally am. Li- I'm, I can hear the theme song in my head right now. Obviously not nearly as good as the movie, but yeah. See? The DNA is all there. You're speaking my language. These are like the kinds of things I was not only loving as a kid at the time, but I still have love for it today. 
Perfect. And just w- one more random connection between A Night at the Roxbury and Clueless the movie and Clueless the TV show. Elisa Donovan, who's the redhead in the movie and uh, reprised the role in the show, and I think yeah. was one of only a handful of actors that, that did, right? Yeah. I, I got this movie from my local library, which I do often on DVD if it's not on a streamer. And when I picked it up, the guy who works at the library was like, I have a friend who was in this movie. And I was like, I'm I'm sorry, wait, what? And he's like, oh yeah, the redhead, she's in this movie and she was in Clueless. Like we went to high school together. And I was like, that's really random. Okay. I love it. That's so fun. Yeah. They're always very friendly at the at my local library. But uh, you know, sometimes I, I rent these random movies and I'm like, they must think I'm insane. But we had a nice little connection this time. So I just wow. thought I would mention that. That's some good karma right there. I think her name's Elisa Donovan. And yes. she is so stinking cute. I mean, she always was, but in this movie, wow, she is so attractive. And it makes sense because the guys are obsessed with her. I think that's Chris Catan. Yeah, I think she's paired up with Chris. But I mean, smoking. Beautiful. Yes, yes, yes. yes. But James, why don't you give uh, our listeners a refresher on what this movie is all about? Yeah, uh, if you're not familiar with this film, or like me, if you just saw it for the first time, or if you've never seen the uh, SNL sketches in which uh, this movie's based off of, this movie stars Will Ferrell and Chris Kattan as Steve and Doug Butabi. They're two brothers who love dancing, even though they can't get into the hottest nightclubs in town, especially the Roxbury. And one night, their luck changes when they get into a fender bender with Richard Grieco, who uses his celebrity status to bring the brothers into the Roxbury. There, they meet the club's owner, Mr. Zadir, and two gold diggers, Vivica and Cambry, who assume the brothers are rich. Steve and Doug sleep with the women, but they're quickly dumped once they admit that they work for their dad. Steve and Doug blame each other for their misfortune and stop speaking to each other. Steve agrees to marry a woman named Emily at his father's insistence, but Doug stops the wedding and brings everyone back into balance by asking that eternal question, What is love? Yes. Wow. Beautifully written. Oh my gosh. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I was just backing into that ending. That 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 was oh. my whole goal. And then I laughed. I laughed at my own joke. How rude. <laughs> um, but normally now, James, I would ask you, how did it do at the box office? But I know this was a bomb, right? Like this, mm. this did not do well at the box office. You know, I was actually surprised. Uh, I never saw this film for two reasons. One, it got horrible reviews. This was also one of those dark times of SNL you know every few years it's like really bad because notoriously they fired everyone in like uh, 97 or something and this and then uh, Will Ferrell was one of the new guys and this was one of the first uh, films that came out in a while and it got horrible reviews but also it came out on October 2nd 1998 and I don't remember what you and I were doing Al but we were definitely like not going to the movies this weekend Uh, we were uh, we were in college so um, yeah. I kind of missed this film, and it wasn't one of those things that was in the zeitgeist. So I, too, uh, thought it was a notorious flop. The budget was pretty uh, uh, pretty decent, $17 million. It opened at number four with $9 million. Uh, couldn't beat the openings of Ants or uh, – I don't know if you ever saw this movie. I've never seen it, but the Robin Williams afterlife film, What Dreams May Come – Oh, yeah, that was around this time. Yeah, and then uh, Rush yeah. Hour was uh, okay. still at number three. So this came in at number four mm. with nine and a half million, but it wound up with 30 million. So 
you know, standard accounting is two and a half times. So it should have made like in the forties, but I'll bet you with uh, DVDs and streaming and, uh, you know, eventually uh, HBO rights and all that stuff, they, they probably uh, squeezed a couple bucks out. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, this film is one of 11 SNL sketches that have been made into films. And wow. I wonder if each of you go one at a time, if you could uh, try to okay. name them. So Al, uh, name an SNL film. I mean, the uh, obvious one is Wayne's World. Okay. Coneheads. Uh-huh. Uh, Stuart Saves His Family. Good one. All right, get starting with the obscure ones. Um, is the movie called It's Pat? That's correct. Uh, it, okay. It's a rare 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Superstar? Yes, very nice. Smart, of course. Um, okay, now I'm like... Hmm. Oh, well, does Wayne's World 2 count? That does count. Yes, very okay. good. I was thinking you might miss that one. Um, I'll mm. give you a hint. Um, it is the uh, second highest rated. You already said the highest rated one, uh, Wayne's World. The second highest rated on Rotten Tomatoes. And when I say it, you'll go, oh, my God, of course. Hmm. Okay. Mm. Wait, give me a second here. Give me a second. I have another hint if you want it. Uh, yeah, give me a hint. All right. Other than Wayne's World with Wayne's World 2, it's the only one on this list that got a sequel. Got a sequel? This, uh, here's another hint. You should get it after this. I think Al will get it after this one. The sequel came out 18 years after the original. 18 years? Oh, I got it, I think. What? What is it? Blues Brothers. Correct. Oh, All right. Good one. All right. Go, Mark. And the sequel was Blues Brothers 2000. You guys are missing. Right. Um, uh, I think you guys are only missing one. And, of course, Night of the Roxbury. You know, that, that one. Um, right, right. You're missing one more, and I will give you the last hint. It is the most recent one. I think I know. Unless, Alan, do you know? No, no. Go for it. MacGruber, right? Correct. Oh, you blew Al out of the water with this one. Good job. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Okay, well done. Right. Well done. Um, was Tim Meadows on <gasps> SNL? Or am yeah, I... oh, the did ladies' I, did, man. Did you miss that one? Oh, I, I yeah. thought I said it. I'm sorry. You're absolutely right. right. Nice one. You saved right. it because we would have had so many angry listeners. Yeah. Oh, my God, I know, right? People right. Would be yelling at their phones. Um, yeah. Wow, that's a good list. Okay, I'm, I'm surprised at how many I remembered because... I remembered like the early 90s ones, like Coneheads is so iconic for me. But yeah, wow, that's a good list. Yeah. They don't do them as much anymore, I guess, because they're such a risk, you know, because they can be not so good, kind of flops. You know, sometimes they're best in little short sketch TV versions, you know? Absolutely. I don't know if you know this, Mark, or if our listeners remember, but Alan was actually, uh, he worked at Saturday Night Live for a year um, when he was in the NBC page program. Like if if you've ever seen uh, 30 Rock, uh, you were basically- I have. uh, I worked, I used to work on 30 Rock. So that's funny. Alan used to work on SNL. I used to work on 30 Rock. Cool. What what was the page's name on 30 Rock? Kenneth. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah, Kenneth. Yeah, yeah. You you were were Kenneth. Wait, what did did you do at uh, 30 Rock, Mark? Okay, this is going to blow your mind. This is so funny because, Alan, you were the real version of Kenneth. And I, for about half of a season, was Jack McBrayer, Kenneth's stand-in. So I would wow. I would wear the jacket. So I was his stand-in. I was his photo double sometimes, you know, for shots that he didn't need to be in. So how funny. I was sort of playing 
a version of him playing a version of you. Wow. That's wow. really, Are there any, really any funny. episodes where you're like, that's the back of my head? Uh, can you tell? Um, there probably are. And I, I was an extra in a couple before that. So every now and then friends that are like rewatching 30 Rock, they're like, oh my God, I see you. I was in like two or three episodes before that. But yeah, I think I remember watching that season. It might be one of the very last seasons. Yeah, like I think I had to ride a bike. I had to like throw something in the trash. So like, I'm like, oh, that's my hand or that's my shoulder. Yeah. It was just one of my many odd jobs between other gigs i'm like yeah let's work on 30 rock of course and fun fact and i know we're totally digressing that is actually one of the very few shows where stand-ins not only were invited to be part of like um the rehearsals of the day like the read-throughs you know but we sometimes would actually read the scripts which i was so nervous about because like the directors, the whole crew's there, and I don't know why they had us do it, because that's kind of rare. But we would read through the lines and do the movements and, like, anyway. So that's my little nerdy thing right there, going down memory lane. That's awesome. Um, But I was a page at Saturday Night Live, and I have a Chris Kattan story. So <gasps> tell us. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you this story. And here's the thing. I don't like to talk shit about people, but Chris Kattan in real life, was a dick. So there was one day, you know, it was a rehearsal day, probably a a Friday, and Catan just left. He left the studio. I guess like he thought he was done or maybe he knew he wasn't done, but he just wanted to get out anyway. And then someone, I think one of the directors was looking for him and she was like, hey, where's Catan? And I was like, oh, he left. And she was like, yeah, uh, he can't leave. I was like, oh, well, what was I supposed to do? And I don't want to be melodramatic like I got in trouble or, you know, was disciplined or anything. It really wasn't a big deal. But I'm a goody two-shoes. I I don't want to get in trouble at work. I have, like, the dream gig. I'm loving every second of life working at that desk at 8H. And then I'm kind of, like, getting my wrist slapped because Catan just decided to bail on rehearsal. And then basically what the director said was, don't let it happen again. He can't leave again. Fast forward a week or two, and in the middle of the rehearsal day... He starts going down the hall and I'm like, you can't, Chris, please, you can't. I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get yelled at. Please, you can't leave. He blew me off. He was just like, ah, you know, I'm sorry. Got to, you know, whatever. uh, Bye later. And to her credit, when the director came looking for him and I was like, look, he, he ran out. I begged him. I tried to get him not to leave. He went anyway. Like, I didn't know what else to do. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, grab his leg and have him drag me down the hallway? You know, like, I mean, he's a grown man. Like, what am I supposed to do? And she was like, it's fine. It's him. But yeah, like, I I still kind of hold a grudge against Chris Kattan for that. Wow. No, that's a good story. And that would linger in my mind as well. I used to work in talk shows a lot in New York. And some of these celebs, oh yeah, I can't really watch them without thinking of like, God, you were like so randomly like such a dick or like just it's such a bad mood for like a no reason. So that's a bummer. But I guess he, so it seems like the director knew he was like that. Like like yeah. that was his thing, just to walk out whenever he wanted. Wow, Chris Kattan. Yeah, yeah that reminds yeah. me, speaking oh, of SNL, and uh, I, I remember uh, I recently heard on uh, Conan O'Brien's podcast, he was telling a Lorne Michaels story. And Lorne Michaels basically like didn't speak to him uh, all night. He was just kind of, he was doing his own thing because I think Jack Nicholson was there. That was the point of the story. But Lorne Michaels says one thing to Conan that whole night, and he goes, 
don't ever tip less than 15% or you'll make it into the post. And the thing I'm, the reason I bring it up is like, you know, the small things that a celebrity does, like stiffing a, a waiter or, you know, being rude. It's happening with James Corden, right? Yeah. Um, how he was apparently so rude recently to a waiter and all of a sudden, like, no one likes him. So, yeah, I hear you. Yeah. It can stick longer than the good stuff for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. But getting back to the movie, A Night at the Roxbury. So, Mark, like what what are some of the parts of the movie that you really love that you really kind of gravitate to? Oh, gosh. Okay. So, yeah, like I said, this was my first time rewatching this in decades. Like I did not see this in theaters. I'm pretty sure I, I rented it as soon as I could or watched it on on demand back then or something but moments re-watching that I immediately kind of remembered as they were happening again I love their whole choreographed dance with the girls in the club yeah it's so random it's cute it's funny it's again a little bit of a in the same DNA uh, going back to Romeo and Michelle that great dance with Mira Sorvino and Lisa Kudrow and Alan Cumming so that's also why I kind of love it so their whole bit because I mean I mean obviously the guys are funny doing their dancing but it can get a little old a little fast you know when it's just them so having some people to play with I think makes it funnier for me yeah so I love that whole bit and I love every single thing Molly Shannon does. Yeah. And I think she is just so good in this as this annoying, kind of crazy girlfriend. I mean, she steals the scenes for me. I love Molly Shannon. I laughed out loud hysterically at some just physical comedy that she does because yes. she's kind of trying to seduce Will Ferrell's character. And one running gag that I find hysterical is that these guys who play themselves off as such uh, cool dudes and bros at the uh, at the club, they have absolutely no idea how to talk to women. And even at oh points God, yeah. where they get the women, they only keep giving them pick up lines and they don't know how to right. communicate with them. But uh, Will Ferrell does another one of those uh, things you'd read in like uh, how to pick up women, a guide from 1972 where he does the yawn at the, uh, uh, at the movie theater to put his arm around Molly Shannon. And, you know, he just rests his arm on the shoulder, but then she very, very carefully grabs his, his palm. Like she's going to rub his palm and then just brings it down and just has him cup her boob. I didn't spit out my drink, but it was like the equivalent of, that it was just something so subtle when yes. they're having sex and she's moaning and she's you know saying like ah ah and then she <laughs> when she when she climaxes she says her orgasm is ikea and like that was that was it's really funny. so good i do love when molly shannon gets sexual even in the snl skit you know i'm 50 not that that's sexual but you know how she can like when she gets a little you know down and dirty oh my god it's even she's she's gold to me i love her and fun fact if you tag her in something or comment on her stuff on insta she usually always likes it sometimes even comments she's a, she's really good at writing people back on insta just Whoa. fun fact that that yeah. is good to know Makes me i love will her definitely even more. tag her yeah you should totally oh my god she might actually comment and love her love her so i love everything she does and another fun physical moment and it's so subtle like i almost missed it but um a scene later on once the brothers are fighting and they're not speaking to each other will ferrell's you know finally like working out for real with uh lachlan monroe his trainer guy yeah and molly um what's her character's name i think it's emily Yes. Emily comes over because, you know, she's she's always on the hunt for for Will Ferrell's character. So she comes over. But like instead of going around the equipment, she kind of like walks through it like in this little 
it's hard to explain just this little like opening in the equipment she like slinks through it I I just wonder like was that just her doing was that the director telling her to do that like I just love how Molly Shannon embraces any sort of weird thing whatever she can do you know even if it's not in the script I feel like she's like what if I just like came right through the equipment and like scared Will Ferrell this way so just gotta say her stuff gold to me yes another thing i loved in this film uh i love seeing uh you know celebrities that uh you know would later be famous like i, I like seeing jennifer coolidge in a small role and like oh yeah. look, there she is this is before anyone knew her but um there was one other guy that this was uh during his unknown era this guy becomes super famous uh the oscars and everything um michael clark duncan uh, credited as yeah. michael quote Big Mike Duncan in the credits. And when you hear that guy's voice and the size of him, he's a presence. And when you see that, you're like, wow. Uh, Michael Clark Duncan is awesome in the small role he does. Just, you know, as the bouncer of like, you're still not coming in and no. And (laughs) it's fantastic. And also the great physical difference between him and and Chris Kattan, who I think is only like 5'5". Like that right there is also just... Just the look of it is so funny. But you know what's also funny? I'm pretty sure, I know 1998, a few months earlier, was Armageddon. And I think Michael Clark Duncan was in that as well, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So, yeah, he was definitely starting to become, you know, a little bit of a thing. And then, of course, yeah, with Green Mile and other big stuff for sure yeah he's great that's fascinating because uh i didn't put that together because i absolutely remembered him as bear in armageddon right but uh, right. you know he is i i'm not a hundred percent positive about this but i was pretty sure he's michael clark duncan and this is one of these sag things uh screen actors guild things mm-hmm. that's why someone will be like samuel l jackson like he doesn't go by like no please call me samuel l uh the reason you go yeah. by that is because there was someone else already named sam jackson or samuel Jackson. I don't think two actors can have the exact same name. Yeah. I think that's the rule. So yeah. the fact that he's credited this way is, is is interesting. That's correct. Although I do have to say, I, I'm in SAG. I don't, I don't know why I'm still in SAG. I should really leave. I haven't done anything in SAG in a long time. But I'm one of the few people at least where I'm like, yeah, there are no Mark Parkers, but I don't like that name. My name is Mark J. Parker. So yeah, I think some people put the initial in there to stand out from someone else. And then some people... You know, it's just their name. So, but yeah, you're right. Uh, you can't have the same name. It's like in their database. It's like, they'll let you know. They'll tell you in a letter, like, there's already this. We recommend you add, you know, a number if you're a second or a third or a junior or a middle initial or something. There's a whole process. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. I mean, if you're going to have an established work, like, I just want to see the, the work of Thomas L. Smith. Like, I don't want Thomas P. Smith. That guy sucks. Um, right. <laughs> right. You know, and as as we're talking about actors who would go on to have bigger careers, first off, I didn't even really recognize Jennifer Coolidge at first, you know, because, like, you know, when you first see her, when she pulls them over, you know, it's like, who is that? She looks kind of familiar. And then you don't see her again until the very end of the movie. And then I was like, oh, that's Jennifer Coolidge. But apparently she and Chris Kattan were dating in real life, uh, which kind of makes me lose a little bit of respect for Jennifer Coolidge. Um, no, no, no. I still love Jennifer Coolidge. Um, <laughs> and also, like, even though Chris Kattan was a dick, I do I do like him as an actor. I thought he was very funny on SNL, even though I didn't like working with the guy. Um, yeah. But then there was this whole story. I don't know if you saw this, that apparently Lord Michaels pressured Chris Kattan to have sex with Amy Heckerling because he wanted her to direct this movie. 
Catan did it. And then he felt like it hurt his relationship with Jennifer Coolidge. And then Will Ferrell didn't respect him. And they would have been like really great friends. And then Will Ferrell lost respect for him because he, you know, had sex with this woman to try to get her to direct the movie. And according to Catan, it was like a horrible thing that happened. Although then other people kind of say that Chris Catan's kind of a liar and you can't really believe everything that he says. So I don't know, but it's it's a fucked up story if it's true, you know, that like Lord Michaels would do something like that. Yeah. You know, I've heard over the years, you know, and even as recent as there's this great show that just came to an end called The Other Two, produced by Lauren Michaels. Really funny show. Yes, where, where Molly Shannon is amazing. Yes, and good old Molly doing the Lord's work. She's making me laugh all the time on that show, but it's done yes. now. But um, those creators kind of came under fire, I guess, for a toxic environment. And yeah. I forget the exact connection or whatever. I know Lauren was a producer on it, but I guess someone, maybe it was Tina Fey or something, said like, well, that's what working with Lauren will do to you or something. So like... I had heard that this sadly created a bit of a fallout for Will and Chris, which is such a bummer because this was like, they were still so new. This was like early on in their career. So how sad, but I did not know about the forcing of the, the sex with Amy Heckerling. That is really cringe. But yeah, yeah, like I said, I I guess Lauren is known for kind of doing things that aren't so great. Yeah. And I mean, you can just look at their, career trajectories and Will Ferrell only went up after this movie and Catan really hasn't done much since even though he is top billed in this movie his Mm. name comes up first in the credits how funny yeah which I don't really know why I mean he wasn't a bigger star in 1998 I feel like they were both kind of at the same level I was looking I because I, I couldn't remember when they joined SNL and how long they were on SNL before this came out. And they really weren't on SNL for very long. Just a couple seasons, I believe. But I think, and this is just a hunch, I think Chris Kattan was on one season before Will Ferrell joined, if I remember correctly when I was researching. Okay. So maybe that's it. Maybe it was just kind of like, this is an SNL movie, so we'll give top billing to the person who's been on the show longer. Maybe. Maybe. Could be. Well, uh, d- uh, true story. Uh, I once went to a taping of SNL in uh, December 97. Someone got me a ticket somehow. And we were shocked. The audience was shocked when Weekend Update comes out. And, oh, my God, I'm getting, I'm going to get to see Norm. And what the fuck is Colin Quinn doing there? And that was the, that was the week. It was totally a surprise and it must've been like, you know, last minute or something. Um, But after that show, I was outside and I got a picture taken with someone from SNL. And the next day uh, back at school, I was like telling people, I was like, Oh, I got to see it. And Samuel Jackson was on and uh, Ben Folds five was playing. And I took a picture with someone, the cheerleader guy, the guy who's in that cheerleader sketch. I took a picture with him i didn't know his name so at that yep. time i didn't know him i don't think i knew who chris Catan was but i'll tell you that uh, th- th- this film was not made as a will ferrell chris Catan. this was made as a the dancing guys from snl in a movie definitely um you know who i love in this film and whenever this guy pops up he fucking kills it i love dan hadaya he is, yep. uh, he's the dad, um, but he was always fantastic at everything he did. I remember him being in one of the Alien films. I love him. He, he's, he's always great, and he killed it in this one, too. Yes, I agree. Always fun to see him. Even in smaller roles, like in First Wives Club, or um, 
he's in one of the Adams Family movies. Like he's, I think he's just funny to look at. He's so expressive, and then his voice, and he's all, he plays that grump so well. I agree. Always fun to see him. And it's funny you say uh, he's funny to look at because I remember what it was. It was Alien Resurrection. He's the captain of the ship and he's woken up and he sits up and he has, I don't know if it's prosthetic or if it's real, but that guy had a sweater of uh, chest hair. And like it was so funny that the audience starts laughing in the movie theater. I, I remember that oh specifically. God. I don't like that. I don't like that story at all. I don't like mocking people for having hairy chests. I, I don't think that's right. Okay. <laughs> I'm just telling you that the audience laughed. I'm not saying that I laughed. Um, uh, are you saying you have a hairy chest? I'm just saying I don't like it. That's all I'm saying. We are an equal opportunity chest hair discussion, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. All carpets of, of hair approved. Right, right, right. You, you mentioned uh, some things that made you laugh, but what else made you laugh, James? Oh, there were some great parts in this film that just made me laugh out loud. There was a part when they're in an elevator and they're going to go up to the top floor to meet, meet uh, Mr. Zadir, the big shot. And Holloway's What is Love, uh, it starts playing as Muzak. And then they start right. like bobbing their heads. That was hysterical. Um, there's this recurring gag uh, that, that uh, uh, the brothers keep recalling when they met Emilio Estevez. And I, I think yeah. that's just, it, it's just really funny the way Will Ferrell says it. And basically when they, they can't control themselves. There's a part where they're having a real heart-to-heart on the beach and they're really talking about where they are in life but in the middle of the speech they'll be like yeah, I don't really know what I want and a hot girl goes by, they'll be saying hey, you want a piece of this? And they start flexing and immediately when they when the girl leaves, so yeah um, I, I, as I was saying we should open our own club and be in our own business and, and I, that was hysterical yeah. to me. There's little things they do, like when their dad uh, that like mocks them, and they do, there's just a, like a part that goes on for like 20 seconds where they just go like, pss, pss, pss. yeah. It's not necessarily funny in a script, but it's funny because Will Ferrell, but also Will Ferrell playing off Chris Kattan. Yeah. Uh, what, what about you, Al? Uh, were there any other parts you really liked in this film uh, that, that we haven't talked about? Yeah, I think it's a lot of like the small little moments, like when the brothers are talking about when they're going to make their meeting with the club owner and Doug has his planner and then Steve gets his and it's like shrink wrapped because he's never used it before. And so then, you know, he's like, oh, are you free next Wednesday? And he's like, um, let me check. Yes, I am. Like, obviously there's nothing in there. You're just, you just open the package. I really, really loved the scene when they're at the gym for the first time and the trainer is like, guys, we need to have a talk. And it seems like it's really serious, but then he's just letting them know that they're not extending enough with their triceps. Just totally deadpan. That got me. And I also just love the whole thing about how they work at a fake plant store and the dad's dream is to merge with the lamp store next door. So in order for that to happen, Steve needs to marry Emily because she's the daughter of the guy who owns the lamp store next door. Like, wait, what? Like, none of that makes any sense. Why would you want to have a a, a fake flower slash lamp store? Also, if you did... You don't need to marry your children. This isn't like 16th century Europe and you're like creating a kingdom. You could just go into business together and it would be fine. But like yeah. that that's just so ludicrous that it works for me. I thought that was yeah. really funny. It's so silly that it's like you have to respect it, right? It's so dumb. 
Yeah, that actually is funny. Yeah. Agree. It's great. I also love there's a part in the uh, montage when the brothers are no longer speaking. Chris Kattan, he goes to a nightclub. It's their famous dance that the two of them kind of hump both sides of a woman and kind of like toss the woman back and forth to each other. And it's kind of funny, uh, you know, in a harassment, uh, assault kind of way. Yeah. And then uh, Chris Kattan, he's doing it alone, but all he's doing is like, you know, just like hard humping like one person like on one side. And it's completely different. Uh, also, he has like five o'clock shadow because he's all depressed so it's that's a funny scene yeah i actually yeah i agree with you about the emilio joke i think it actually is funny and so stupid that they keep repeating it but it works one joke that was repeated a lot that for me got old fast is the Chaz palmentary did you grab my ass like yeah after like the second time i'm like oh we're doing it again and then even later where then he says to colin quinn and like in his office like did you just grab my ass and colin quinn goes it's physically impossible no you know then i'm like okay i think this can either go to bed or change into something else or you know so that sort of hit a wall early for me but uh but at the same time it was fun to see Chaz be so goofy because We've seen him in so many movies where he's so serious, you know? I actually laughed at Colin Quinn saying, uh, sir, it, I am across the room. It is a physical yeah. impossibility. I was like, there, that's it. That's the climax of the joke. And yeah. then they did it like more times. And I did not think it was right. funny. Like, sir, he called and said, uh, you want to know if he touched his ass? I did not think that was funny. Yeah. And then he's like, well, you could grab my ass, but you'd be barking up the wrong tree. Yeah, it's like, which part of this is supposed to make us laugh? Right. These guys are so stupid. It's such a stupid dance. Their pickups are so dumb. The way they try to look cool is so idiotic. That wig that Will Ferrell wears is hysterical. (laughs) Or however, whatever moose he's wearing to to style his hair like that. Just everything about these guys, you realize how dumb these guys are. It's, It's interesting that they made 90 minutes. Yeah. I'm glad the runtime is so short because... You know, again, I have fun with it, but it's like, okay, we're running out of story here. So let's, you know, wrap it up at one hour and 20 minutes, right? But um, I don't know if it's like a 2023 lens or if it really could have worked, but I kind of wanted one female character to sort of like school them and be like, okay, stop doing that. You know, like this is not what we want, you know, and that could have been really, really funny. You know, also in 1998, that kind of wasn't the comedy. That's something we would do nowadays um, yeah. or even maybe even 10 years ago. But 25 years ago, I think everyone just wanted to see these guys just like almost like hurt women. I hate to say it, but like they're banging their bodies into them. They're falling onto the floor, yet they still are standing up to come back to them. Like it's definitely a little odd where it's like, OK, these girls should not be even trying with these guys because like you said they are so dumb and they are so pathetic so uh yeah i think in in an alternate universe it'd be fun if some girl actually like told them what they should be doing and how they should treat women you know yeah or they should have been slapped in the face you're absolutely right right i'm really glad that you brought that up mark because i i was definitely thinking about that you know from the test of time lens where it's like these guys are really really fucking aggressive and they should be thrown out of any of these clubs instantly the second they start like grinding with some of these women like it's not okay and it wasn't okay in 1998 but people weren't necessarily like thinking of it that way and that really was 
a big part of the joke in the Saturday Night Live skits. And maybe, I, I don't know why, but maybe it just plays a little bit better, like in a skit where it's like 90 seconds of them doing it. And if it's Cameron Diaz or whatever, and she makes a goofy face and then she leaves, then it's less offensive or doesn't feel yeah. as like icky. But yeah, I mean, also just like you said, I think because of, the world that we live in now and we're just a little bit more attuned to it. Yeah. Like in, in the opening scene, I was like, this probably played funnier 25 years ago than it does now. So Mark, let me ask you the question we've been building towards. Do you think a night at the Roxbury stands the test of time? Great question. It's not an easy one for this movie. So I hope my answer makes sense. Like I said, I'm, I'm glad I was able to rewatch it. A lot of it is funny. It was a fun little nostalgia trip, but I do not think this movie stands the test of time for a few reasons. Like we said, it's funny. It could be funnier. You know, it kind of hits some walls. And then, like we said, especially with the aggressive, physical, um, uh, it's like assault. And I don't want to bring it down. It's a comedy. I know. Yeah, I think watching it today... Right off the bat, it's like, ooh. And even just the way they ogle at so many women's chests. I mean, there are so many shots of breasts that it's like, ooh, gosh, this is this is a little rough. So, yeah, I sadly do not think it stands the test of time. All right. Well, what do you think, Al? Uh, do you think the film stands the test of time 25 years later? Well, going into some of the movies that we talk about on this podcast, I always try to keep an open mind but i gotta be honest sometimes that's pretty damn hard especially Mm -hmm. when james picks the movies especially when it's like a really stupid looking poster and i'm like okay this is going to be terrible i'm thinking of cobra we just talked about uh the sylvester stallone movie cobra and i was like okay Mm -hmm. this is going to be terrible and it was i came into a night at the roxbury with very very low expectations i thought it was going to be absolute dog shit and i gotta be honest with you i laughed quite a few times there were moments where i was like this is actually pretty damn funny and i think that when they really go out there when they go for it when they get surreal when they get really weird i think that's when it works the best it kind of made me think of a strange brew a movie that we talked about not that long ago there's some similar dna there that was based on an sctv skit that was like two minutes and then they extended it to an 80 90 minute movie like eh, is that gonna work and it works surprisingly well better than you might think but it just doesn't all the way work you know like when they go for the off the wall silliness it works when they go for more of like the standard movie plot a to b to c stuff then it's kind of like yeah i'm kind of bored by this um and honestly just from like a test of time perspective yes the whole aggressive nature that that we talked about that definitely doesn't stand up but there's also just a lot of other references that i think kind of date the movie when they get pulled over uh steve calls the female cop jennifer coolidge he calls her tj hooker they make some Joni loves chachi references there's a whole thing about doug loves the woman on the credit card company you know so like he has to Mm. call up the credit card company would anyone do that now like call up the credit card company maybe if you got 
denied or something, but that would have to be really, really weird now. Um, yeah. And also just, I think maybe this is me as an old dude in my forties, but like, is club culture really like a thing anymore? M maybe it is. And I just don't know about it. But like, hmm. to me, that seems like a nineties thing that could just be because that's when I was a kid. And that's when I went to clubs like three times. I was not a club <laughs> kid at all. That's correct. Al clubs are still around. Uh, and they still have the thousands and thousands of dollars for a vodka bottle. And uh, it's absolutely around. Fine. Fair enough. I mean, I feel like a lot of the iconic New York City clubs like from our youth are gone. I guess they were re replaced with other ones that are the same thing. Probably. There's no such thing as a club that stays forever. I mean, like Limelight, which was around yeah. forever. I, it's, a, it's like a store now. I forgot what it is now. It's like, it's like a CVS or something like really weird. I thought it was a pizzeria. Oh, really? Oh, for a while there, it was like a cool little like boutique with like different stores inside but oh, oh and i think there was a pizzeria yeah all right well maybe that's not a strike against it but i think there's enough in this movie that is a no that even though it has some funny moments i think overall i'm going to say that the movie does not stand the test of time james mm -hmm. what do you think do you think it stands up um, you know, like you, Al, I assume this film was like what I assume it's Pat to be. I never want to see it's Pat, but if someone requests it, we'll, <laughs> we'll do it. But I assume it's 90 minutes of, is it a man or a woman? And which is so, you know, it doesn't stand for so many reasons today, but I never, ever found that Pat sketch funny ever. I didn't think that this was a really funny sketch, to be honest. I didn't love it on SNL. I, I, I was definitely into the, the cheerleader uh, dancing guy, you know, who was later mm -hmm. one of the most famous actors in comedy ever. But I had incredibly low expectations for this. And the opening five minutes of the film is a movie quality version of the SNL sketch. And I did think it was yep. funny. Like Al, I laughed in this film. I laughed a lot in this film. I even rewound stuff because I actually didn't understand why the brothers were mad at each other. Like I wasn't paying attention for a moment because they don't even. There's not even a good reason they're mad yeah. because the gold diggers don't like them anymore and they blame each other. They're like, oh yeah, you were never good looking because the guys are so positive to each other. The, the dance is something that doesn't stand up, obviously. I mean, I didn't go to clubs in 1998, but I don't think you could go up to a, a woman and just start humping her hip. You can't do that to a strange woman at a club. But this is also not a film that's really about social message. I think that if this film was even 10 minutes longer, I would have had a very different opinion of this film. This was a real quick in-and-out film. It's Stupid, but it's funny enough to me that just because I think because my expectations were so low that if you're a fan of Will Ferrell and you know and you know this is not you know this is not a depiction of how to pick up ladies, folks. Um, I actually think it does stand up. I, I thought it was a, a strange, funny comedy that I never would have seen if it wasn't for you, Mark, picking this film to put wow. on this podcast. So, so I'm actually happy you did it because uh, I still don't want to watch its Pat. I am not. I do not think I'm going to be shockingly uh, surprised by how much I like that film. But I actually I like this film. I agree with the, what you guys are 
saying, but I don't laugh out loud that much about movies I'm watching alone that I haven't seen before. And this is actually packed in a lot of laughs. So don't pay attention much to the plot at all. Don't listen for any life pro tips on how to pick up women at all. But I, I think if you unplug, um, I liked it. But I also agree with you guys, too. It's not going to be for everyone. This is not like, you're crazy if you don't pick up this film, this unknown film. I'm as shocked as uh, you, uh, maybe some of the listeners are or you guys are that I liked it. But it made me laugh. So shockingly, this sort of flop, maybe flop, maybe broke even film for me just went over the test of time. I love that, though. I'm happy, you know, because that's the thing. I think you can say that something doesn't stand the test of time, but still appreciate it, most of it. You sure. know, like, of course, there are some major flaws. And I think the three of us could have probably written a stronger story or something, or at least a, a more like, you know, light bulb moment for him later on. But no, I think that's great. I love, James, that you that you had a good time because it, it's, it's supposed to be a good time. So it did its job. You know, it's not like they became famous because the hump dance got picked up on national television and they have to like <laughs> hump over and over and over this thing. Then it would be like, all right, the plot revolves around you do you do have to think this dance is funny. But yeah, there are parts that are stupid and don't hold off, but to each his own. And that's why we have multiple uh, opinions here. But still, two to one doesn't hold up. My opinion loses. All right, so Mark, for our listeners who have very much enjoyed listening to you and want to hear more of you talking about movies, where can they find you? Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, so um, Release Date Rewind is on pretty much all the podcast apps, so whatever platform you like, I should be on there. It's on the Straw Hut Media Network, so we're kind of everything. Um, And then it's also on YouTube. I, I put the video of our show on my YouTube page, so if you're one of those people that likes to watch a podcast i don't really do that but some people out there just watch youtube all day and i love that <laughs> so you can watch as well as listen and we, and i try to have like two episodes a month excellent and i'm not just saying this because you're here it's a really good show it's so entertaining you are so passionate about the movies that you talk about it's a great listen and i gotta think that anyone who likes test of time will like release date rewind you know there's overlap but not in a bad way like in a in a good way of like we're passionate. We're into the movies and we like yeah. them. And it's just a really good show and people should listen to it. Subscribe. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I totally agree. Yeah. L- luckily, like our shows are different enough, but we make a great double feature. The three of us right here, you know, like with our pods. There you go. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. Well, well, thank you again for joining us, Mark. This has been awesome. This is great. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. I had so much fun. And now I'm going to listen to the Roxbury soundtrack and just jam the night away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we didn't even really like get into the soundtrack. I mean, it's such like a late 90s dance, you know, kind of like jock jams kind of soundtrack. They're not all great. You know, like some of the songs are kind of duds. But um, Where Do You Go by No Mercy. That like... (laughs) instantly brings me back to high school i don't know why it's not like an amazing song but just like hearing that like really transported me oh yeah for me it was be my lover gonna be my lover love that one it's a beautiful life Uh, uh. yes that's a big one and then a, a deeper cut but i remembered it very well once i heard it was um a little bit of ecstasy yes yes i was like whoa i haven't heard that in years right yeah. right 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 yeah no i had that exact same reaction I'm like i remember that one yep yep uh yeah no great great soundtrack too 
All right. But thank you again, Mark. This has been awesome. It's been really great chatting with you. This has been so much fun. Oh, thank you. It's been so much fun. Thank you, guys. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Come back next week when we will be talking about School of Rock. That's another movie that's having an anniversary. It's turning 20. I'm excited to rewatch that movie. But until then, we want to hear from you guys. We are at Tested Time Pod on Facebook, X, Instagram, and Threads. You can email us at testedtimepodcast at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to us on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. Also, make sure you're subscribed to Release Date Rewind while you're subscribing to things. And uh, we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye.